Hey there, welcome back. You're listening to The DM with Audrey, Brianne, and Tyree. Last week, we reviewed Euphoria Season 2, which you should definitely check out. On this week's episode, we will be interviewing costume designer Leslie Kapanoff. So today, guys, we are joined by um, Leslie Kavanaugh, who is an esteemed and well-versed costume supervisor turned designer with impressive work spanning many genres of film and television over the last 20 years, such as Clarice, Resident Evil, Retribution, Saw 2, 3, 4, 5, and 3D, Suicide Squad, and Season 5 of The Handmaid's Tale, which is currently streaming new episodes on Hulu. Leslie, just thank you so much again for joining us today. We're honored to have you on the show. And to start off, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start and what made you decide to pursue a career in costume design? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. My path into costume design is a little bit interesting in that I had zero aspirations to be a costume designer. (laughs) And um, I had sort of... um, fallen into it, if you will, to be quite honest. I went to theater school, but I had originally thought that I was going to become an actress. And that was my goal when I was younger. And I had gone to theater school for in front of the camera. And the theater school that I went to um, in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland on the East Coast of Canada, that theater school they have in their program, you have to do also a semester where it's state. So if you were in acting, you would do a semester of stagecraft. And if you were in stagecraft, you had to do something in the acting department so that you could understand both sides of it. Mm-hmm. And it was in doing the stagecraft that I kind of fell into the costume department and I didn't know how to do anything. Like I thought when I learned how to sew a button on a costume, like I could have just climbed Mount Everest. It was as, it was as monumental to me. But in reality, I also have a sister, my sister, Alex Kavanaugh. She is a very accomplished costume designer here in Toronto, and she was already doing all this stuff. And it seemed to a lot of people natural that I would go to it. I just didn't until many years after theater school and working, coming back to Toronto and trying to make some money. It was a very, very busy time. And I got into it through being a costume assistant. I started at the very bottom. And I have pretty much done most of the positions within the department and sort of semi-mastered those ones and then moved on up the food chain. And the designing fell into me because actually you mentioned the Saw movies and uh, one of the directors from the Saw movies, Darren Bowsman, I've done several of his shows and he had a project that came up. He said, okay, well, and I was just like, what? As designer, whoa, (laughs) you're crazy. No, no, no. I don't do that. Anyways, uh, lo and behold, I did it. And uh, so that's how my costume design career kind of segued off. Wow, that's incredible. That is amazing. Um, So who do you look up to in the industry or who are some of your style icons? So I only look up to myself. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. You're like my sister. Um, <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, you know, if you mean who do I look up to in the industry, I have, I have to just say it's a really difficult question to answer because I truly feel blessed in the opportunity presented with that I've been able to capitalize on and the people I have interacted with and worked for, worked with. I've had very profound, for me anyways, profound mentorship of people that took me under their wing and guided me. And even when giving me advice that I thought I didn't need, I really did need it. And uh, learning that way and, and really, you know, sometimes you really need someone else to believe in you more than you believe in yourself at times when you're having a tough time. And I was really lucky, really, truly, truly lucky. My sister definitely has been a very big driving force behind the success of my career. She's always believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and always saw that I could do, you know, more and more. And I just didn't see that. But I've had other people that I've worked with that really took the same sort of stance with me and challenged me in ways that they knew I could do. So for me, it's been really, uh, that's a hard one to answer because there's been quite a handful to name just, well, obviously, I guess I just name dropped my sister again. But uh, other than that, it's, um, I, uh, you know, there's been quite a few people that have been really good to me. Sonia Hayes is a costume designer. She designed the reboot of the movie Total Recall. Okay. And I had, for me, a really positive experience with working with her. I don't even know if she's probably fully aware of how much of an impact on me because she's she's a really busy lady I don't know if you know who she is but she's done like really crazy cool stuff and yeah. I got to work with her on Total Recall but she's really really calm and really nice and has a really strong vision and the way she handled stuff just watching her work was really interesting and stuck with me because I really feel her approach and her from my experience of what I saw she just sort of held it all together in a really nice way and was very calm and just, you know, her work was great and really took, gave, also she's somebody that gave me more challenges on that show and put me, you know, as the sort of lead point person for certain things, all these crazy finicky costumes that were just created when nobody really knew what to do with. I'm like, what? She's certainly somebody. And Sammy Sheldon was another person. I worked on uh, this movie called Kick-Ass, the original Kick-Ass. And that was the same thing. Sometimes these people don't really even know how much of an impact they've had on you because they're just doing their thing. But watching someone like her and the way, the stuff that she gave me and put me in charge of to do, you know, it was really really cool. And, um, I learned so much and grew so much as a costumer from those experiences. So I guess those are a few people, uh, style icons, uh, Gizo. That's a great one. There's so many, there's two people, uh, Elizabeth Moss, who I just worked with, mm-hmm. she nails it on the red carpet and has a really cool sense of style herself all the time. And I'm just going to let you guys in on a little hidden secret about her. Okay. She has a superpower and her superpower is she can wear any color. And I kid you not on that. That girl is a chameleon with color. It's wild. There's yeah. nothing you can put her in that she just doesn't rock and look amazing in. So that's a little tidbit for you there. Jealous. And <laughs> you know who I think of a celebrity, if I'm picking, if you're, if that's the, what the question was of celebrity, you know who I think just looks amazing all the time, truly who I love is Charlize Theron. Mm. I think she looks great all the time. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Nailed it. 
Yeah, she's a good one. <laughs> yes. Kate Blanchett. I mean, I could see her all day. Mm. They all look yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so once you book a gig, how do you go about researching and prepping for the project? Like, can you guide us just a little bit through what that creative process looks like of when you first get the job? So it's an interesting question because when you first get a job, your first thing is the interview is what actually gets your creative juices flowing. Almost always have to read the script, whether it be a feature film, you get the full script, or if it's a television series, sometimes they only give you one or two episodes. They want to keep you more contained and not give everything away always. And it's from reading that, that all your mental imagery uh, comes to life. You know, you're reading it and what do you, how does it resonate with you and what, what's hitting you and you start getting all those things. And so then you would decide whether you resonate with that uh, material. Like I have read some scripts where I just didn't feel that it was something I could really, you know, knock out of the park. And you say, listen, this is a great script, but it's not my, you know, not for me to do. Um, I've only really done that once for the record. Um, But anyways, and um, so then um, you then would put together what's called a lookbook for the director and sometimes the producers or writers, whoever's in there, usually with television, the person that's written the script is one of the producers on that episode. So they would be involved because of course it's their story that's coming to light and you would just do visual references. And now in the digital age, we do everything, you know, you're grabbing stuff off the internet or if you're doing a sketch or depending on what it is, usually I would say for contemporary, it's more pulling imagery I like to do things for um, attitude, flavor, and feel is what I say my lookbooks are about. I use pieces of visual aids that aren't necessarily that exact thing, but it conjures up a feeling when you're looking at that or, you know, a visual something to everybody. And that's something that you can start on. You can riff off each other about what it's going to then go from there, like, they could say like, oh, this is super awesome. It's totally what we were thinking. Or I understand why you pulled that, but we don't want to go in that direction because it's the natural way to go. What can you give us that something else? So it starts a whole conversation. If you're doing a project that involves a little bit more maybe historical accuracy or more futuristic or just something that is you know, is there references to a medical thing or a military thing, then you're going to actually get into doing real research of what that would entail. Like any show that has uniforms, police, military, any of these things, you're going to do a little bit more actual accurate research. So you are also educated so that you can talk about why you've chosen this uniform or what these patches mean or whatever the case may be. So then you would do a little bit more research. I mean, you know, Dr. Google is good to us all now, but there used to be this little thing that the kids don't really know about today called the library. And um, that's where, you know, you could go and do a lot of, a lot of reference libraries or just regular libraries. You know, we used to also just buy lots of magazines and do tears of magazines and do collage work. You could cut and paste in real time with glue and scissors and make your own visual, you know, mood boards. So there's all kinds of ways to do it, but that's kind of how I start is you read the script get my own visual, you know, elements in my head swimming around just from the story point. And then I start, you know, concentrating on how do I want, what do I want to present that showcases my work the best? And I usually condense just a couple of characters. You can't really 
you know, it's, it's hard. It's a lot harder in the time frame usually given to you to do a whole arc, if you will, for everybody in a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, um, what are the differences or challenges working with sci-fi or comic book and that like realm versus working in something that's like more like a modern set in time? So sci-fi and sci-fi is really cool. If you're doing a lot of futuristic stuff is really cool because of course there are no real rules because of the future. I would say there's more loose guidelines because there's been futuristic movies done. So then everyone sort of looks at what's been done. How can you push the envelope more? What could you do differently? And I think that every story will guide you in which way you're going to go, you know? So if you think about something like Westworld, they go, it's futuristic and it's like really weird, cool world that they've created, but they also have like things from the 18, pieces of clothing and stuff that's framed after like the 1800s or things in the past. And how do they make it like, but it's like robot legs on it, you know? So they sort of really riff back and forth, which I really love. I think that stuff is really interesting. And then for comic book stuff, you know, there's always guidelines there because it's based on a comic book. So mm-hmm. depending on like we, I worked on a film called Suicide Squad yep. and those characters were real characters. So it was kind of recreating some of that stuff uh, to be true to what those characters were in the comic books. But then also like, how do you make the movie friendly and, you know, user friendly and bring them to life in not, you know, a 2D, like we're real, you know, we're people, we're actors and, you know, stunt performers and everything else. So how do you bring that to life in that? Kate Hawley was the costume designer on that. And she just did a killer job of doing that and making that look, in my opinion, I think, you know, her work looked amazing. And for anyone that doesn't know who she is, she just really did that new um, Lord of the Rings reboot, like the, the mm-hmm. prequel. Oh, yeah. to the Lord of the Rings and I just finished watching it and it's just absolutely breathtaking. I can't wait to watch. I'm sure the costuming like is great on that. Yeah. It's it's yeah. like next level. It's off the charts. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I'm just like, oh my gosh, love her. What a but uh, so that's the thing. Comic books have a little bit more, I think, of a structure to it because they are based on stuff. Sci-fi, I think there's a little, it's a little more loosey-goosey, a little more creation of what can you do. Mm-hmm. And then contemporary it really depends on what the story is. If you're doing a cop drama type show, you know, you're not going to be bringing in all your flashy colors and super high fashion lines and silhouettes and couture stuff. That's just sort of, you know, the, it's traditionally, they're very, you know, purposeful clothing that they can go out to investigate a murder or a bank robbery or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, So it's a little bit more practical choices, nothing too flashy. But, you know, you look at a movie, say like The Proposal with Sandra Bullock and my boyfriend and yours, Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) And and of course, they did a lot of really fun fashion-y pieces with her because she was like this editor at this high, you know, glossy magazine. And like, that's so super fun. So you get to have a little bit more you get to push the boundaries of creativeness with fun fashion pieces and colors and silhouettes to make it look delicious. Awesome. Um, I have a quick follow-up question just for our listeners. Could you please explain the difference between like a costume designer, a costume supervisor, and just like the different realms within, or just those two, I guess, or like a costume buyer? (laughs) 
<laughs> so, the, <laughs> so the costume department is comprised of many different um, people within it. And everybody, I just want to say, like, it's truly true that every person brings a lot to the table, right? Like there's no department, there's no person within the department that's not equally as important for different reasons. And obviously the costume designer is the head of the department and the creative vision. The costume designer is one of the three creative people within a filmmaker. So it's the director of photography, the production designer, and a costume designer on top of the director and producers, but they are the, the sort of creative trifecta. And between the three of those people, they create the look and the tone and the feel of a story, movie, what have you. Same thing even with theater. Like, So it creates the whole overall visual of what is this going to be? And then every department specifically, we'll talk about costumes, obviously, because that's why I'm hell, <laughs> is that then I would have um, an assistant designer. So if you're lucky, you get two, depending on the size of the show. And then underneath the, or like lateral, like lateral position to the costume, assistant costume designer, excuse me, is the costume supervisor. And so the costume designer and the assistant designer are kind of more dealing with everyday creative elements, fittings, you know, meetings about creative elements. They can go shopping. They can do all that. The costume supervisor is like the person that runs the shop. So they deal with all the paperwork, the accounting, the crewing of it all, making sure all the moving parts are always moving. And then under, there is somebody um, in the costume department that's called a costume set director. And they are the people that take cast on set. They maintain the continuity. They are the conduit of information between the set and the office to, you know, they represent the costume designer when you're actually on the floor shooting. And then they would do the same thing there. They bring the information back to the costume designer if they can't be there on the movie or TV set at the time because they're doing something else. They're like, oh, the director really loved this. So the director is asking, can we have that? Send that all back up to the costume designer. And those that's the basic sort of, I, I hope I've answered that, the basic understanding of those positions. <laughs> Thank you so much. So we were curious, coming into The Handmaid's Tale, um, what new life were you able to bring to the wardrobe given that this show is on its fifth season? Such a great question. Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. Season five, what does somebody bring to the table in season five of a show? Well, I was really lucky that The Handmaid's Tale was initially designed by Anne Crabtree. She did seasons one and two. And what she did to help create this most amazing, iconic looking, oppressed beauty of the, of the visuals in the clothing was just fantastic. Me coming into season five was that the story has gone down a different path in that June is now in the free land of Toronto. And um, what is her story now? Where is she in her journey? And what does that look like? Mm -hmm. We've seen her before in flashbacks and we've obviously seen her in her Gilead traditional red dress, the white yeah. wings and everything. So everybody knows that look. Yeah. And, but we've never seen her in who is she as a free woman now? You can't go backwards. The flashbacks were who she was a million moons ago and everything that's happened to her. And, you know, anyone that watches the show knows it was a lot. That yeah. girl really took, she's like the energy, you know, she's like a, she's like a Timex. She takes a licking and keeps on ticking. You know what I mean? It was crazy. And um, so what is her story now? And how could I give her a new persona 
that's still true to who she, the core of who she is, but where she is now. So that's the challenge that I was really up for. And also too, because of where the storyline's gone, the world of Gilead is now trying to also showcase that, hey, we're great and we can move with the times sort of and you know we're we're not stagnant we look we're introducing a new color this year look at these plums like so it's been able it was being able to really support of uh, the writers and directors on the show and the producers to even push the boundary a little bit more of Gilead and adding a couple of elements that very you know subtly that were never there before just to help push that boundary a bit as well so that was just super fun i was able to do that and put my own sort of stamp on it that way i think and i hope <laughs> are there any easter eggs or hidden details that you can share with our viewers about the handmaid's tale wardrobe Ooh, well it is airing so there's some things we can talk about that i'm not giving <laughs> anything away but um there, you know, I had a couple of questions come to me over different social media platforms. A lot of people were asking me about the significance of the necklace that June is wearing this year. Mm-hmm. We specifically chose a locket for her. It's a little locket. And myself and Elizabeth Moss, Lizzie, we were talking about, well, who's in there? Is it Nick and Luke? You know, is it Hannah and baby Nicole? Is it a picture of her mother? You know, is it a lock of her hair. Who knows? Is it, is, you know, is it Janine and Aunt Lydia? Like who's in this locket? And we just decided that we're not going to ever reveal it. That's a very fun fact. That's really fun. Um, so the women, specifically the wives of the Republic of Gilead, wear different shades of teal. Um, was that a welcome challenge to provide costuming for? So... The women in Gilead do wear different shades of teal. The concept behind it was it would denote their place in stature or importance, hierarchy, whatever you'd like to say. It's sort of, um, it's a bit of an ebb and a flow of this for different reasons. The one thing that was super duper fun, in my opinion, for me on season five is that the show is never shot in warm weather. And this season we did. So I was able to reveal the spring summer collection of Gilead. And so we are having um, a lot of lighter, brighter hues for sure. There are some joyous moments and it was just a way to, to be able to showcase that to be able to say, you know, that Gilead has, you know, slightly grown a bit and they do, you know, the people that are in Gilead, it's really important to mention the people that are in Gilead, they believe in this world. They believe in the message of what they're preaching, right? So they're joyous in their own way there. Anyone looking outside and looking in think they're all like, what is happening over there? Like, what are you believing in? But just like you and I, like they have joy. They have, you know, they have dinner parties and ladies lunches and everything else. So it was important for me to, I think, showcase that. And I dye a lot of my fabric specific to each character for what's happening in that scene. So certain hues of a certain, you know, like the Nick's wife has... Uh, she's got natural red hair. So we went more with a greener undertone in her coloring to really, you know, highlight her skin tone and all of that and bring it out. And then, you know, somebody like Ever Carradine who plays Naomi Putnam, she's definitely in a lot of the brighter, happier hues because that's her coloring. She's blonde, you know, so we're really trying to work with that. 
And also just having a little bit of season for sure for Gilead, like bringing it in a way we haven't seen before. And really it all came down to timing of when we shot the show. There was, you know, no, no warm weather before. And so why not have some fun with the colors? That's great. It kind of already covered my next question of the children wearing pink and like the shades of pink and then the shades of green. Yeah, yeah. Um, Next question is about the Saw movies. And so um, this, like those type of movies, they call for a lot of blood, torn clothing. How do you go about recreating the duplicates and matching up things like blood splatter pattern for multiple units? Um, And there's a second part to that question, which is, is it harder working on those types of pieces than a project where things are meant to be new? Yes, 100% is harder. It's also way more fun. No, it's not. Everything has its own place of fun and whatever. I built a lot of my career in action and in horror. So uh, multiples is my middle name on a costume. And um, (laughs) the reality is it was, for me, a bit of trial and error learning that. On the day, the director's like, more blood, let's do this. Can we? And so you're just reacting and you're like, okay, more blood. And you pour some on or, you know, you get a spray bottle and you spray it and you're like, oh, that spray looks so good. But as we all know, that spray is never going to be exactly the same again. You're like, what have I done? And so, you know, it's like, I need four more of these. And I did a movie uh, many moons ago called Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. And that was my first really big job learning because they just wore one costume through the whole movie, but they had so many things happen to them. So we had like 12 of each costume for each guy and everyone, it was like, you know, the clean version, then the clean plus this, then the clean plus this, plus this. I was just like, oh my gosh, how are we going to recreate that? And I would be back there on the truck, the costume truck, because I was doing the costume truck on that show. And it was before department, costume departments were really big. And we had all these beautiful, amazing textile breakdown artists that could help us and assist us. You're just sitting there with a paper plate that you got from the craft service truck and you're mixing up paints and dirt and everything. And you're just sort of like, okay, I'll just do my best to re... I don't know, that looks like a thumbprint. Let's try a thumbprint. And, you know, I would have all these... I had forks and knives and spoons and toothpicks. I went to the craft truck and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, never mind. (laughs) And it's just like trying to recreate it. And it was really tough. It was really tough. And by the time I started doing more movies, some of the zombie movies and the Saw movies specifically, because they're so much more about gore and all that, we, my sister was the costume designer on many of those, and she's like a genius for this kind of stuff. And we just started figuring out how are we going to duplicate this? And one of the things that we took to doing was getting some clear vinyl. Mm -hmm. And you would sit there and you would trace out the blood splatter. And then you have to sit there with like an exacto knife. And because some of these splatters are like teeny tiny, don't forget. And you got to get that in there and do your best. You know, you try your best. And I'm a little bit of a, I try to be a bit of a perfectionist that way. I'm like, it's missing a dot. Like, you know, and it's just like, who's going to see it on the big screen? Probably nobody, but I knew. So it's like, you're always trying to make sure it's like just exactly the same. And so we would cut out. Um, I guess you would just call them stencils and out of the vinyl and then you're placing them on the costumes and you have to make sure, you know, you'd pin the costumes down so nothing would move when you're doing this. And we used to build um, these like blood kits that had fresh blood, you know, four hour blood, 
24 hour blood, you know, so because you're as blood dries, it kind of goes more reddish brown as opposed to bright red. And so we're adding more pigments and stuff to give that. And then it was like the shiny blood. So it's really new, but we would paint it on so that, um, you know, the actor doesn't have to be in a soaking wet costume mm. with like, you know, blood all over them. It's on their skin, it stains and everything until they can shower. So we would try to come up with new ways of that and was just really playing around and, and having a lot of fun and a lot of frustration too. Like I, you know, it would, I would be sitting here lying if I said it didn't drive me bananas a few times where you're just like, Oh my gosh, like, why is this just not working? And you know what? Sometimes overthinking things, like sometimes you just got to go old school and like, you need a grass stain? Great. I'm going to go put these pants on and I'm going to just go rub my knee in the grass. Like, why am I trying to like kill myself creating this perfect grass shade of paint? And some, you know, sometimes it's, it's just going back to, going back to that kind of thinking. <laughs> do you have to, I just was curious, um, when it comes to the blood splatter, do you have to almost think in the way of the person who's doing the, whatever it is that would cause the splatter? Like if someone's got like an ax and they're making this sort of a hand movement, like a downward movement, do you have to think of that when putting those splatters on? Yeah, you 100% would think about what the weapon of choice is and how it's all moving. And I always say this, I always say to people, like, if anyone got hold of my phone, they're just going to be like, who is this serial killer (laughs) fashion person? Like, they don't, you know what I mean? The pictures on my phone are crazy. It was that. I was working really closely with um, stunts and with the weapons handlers and also with prosthetics to learn a lot about how we would all coordinate together. Uh, I'm lucky I have a brother and a brother-in-law that do special effects. So I was able to mm-hmm. learn a lot about when they rig up, a, you know, a squib hit, which is like a bullet hit or one mm-hmm. that's a blood hit, like how they're doing it. How much is it going to give off so that I could also work with that? Cause every, you know, the reality is almost always you shoot out of order on a show, a television yeah. series or a movie. You're not, you don't always get the beauty one Saw movie we did because it was so intricate. They knew we had to shoot in sequential order as best we could to maintain it all. One time. And um, so it is It is hard. Like you're doing it all over the place. So you're, you know, I, I do find it cool and creepy that I know so much about, you know, bullets and gory things that acts, you know, spinning circular saws. What That's not what it will do. That doesn't, it doesn't chew your skin like that. By the way, it does this. And like, you're like, why do I know this? You know, it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of like knowing this, what will, where will this skill set get me? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. It's gotten me pretty far. So, that's <laughs> so Looking at all of your bodies of work, do you have a couple of on-set favorite memories? Like, do you have one? Do you have two? Like, one that sticks out? I did a movie called The Vow, and it starred Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum. And I have to say, um, I had so much fun with Channing Tatum. It's not even funny. I used to call him Chanene. And um, (laughs) he just used to call me mama. (laughs) And uh, he was just a lot of fun. He was really, really fun. Rachel McAdams is amazing. And a funny story on that was we shot most of the movie here in Toronto, but we went to Chicago to do a bit of shooting for a few weeks because the actual story takes place in Chicago. So of course we wanted to have some really iconic and well-known looking Chicago exterior stuff to add to the movie. So people would know it was really Chicago and not Toronto. And, um, 
Oh my gosh. I can't even believe I'm going to tell you the story. So we went to Chicago. Everything is awesome. It's really great. We're having a good time. And some, there was not a lot of us crew from Toronto. We had a local crew, which they were phenomenal, but a handful of us went and I was their dresser. Like I dressed, uh, Rachel and Channing and, um, this one evening we were going, a bunch of us were going out for dinner and I ran into Rachel McAdams and she said, Hey, where, what's, where are you guys going? What's going on? I was like, Oh, we're going to check it. Like it is a great city for food. Anyone that's listening, go to Chicago and eat your way through that city. It's amazing. And so there was all these really amazing restaurants that were getting recommended left, right and center. So of course we're like, yes, we're going to do all the Chicago things. And so we were going to this cool restaurant. It's really great. And we're, there's about 10 of us sitting at this table and I'm sitting next to Rachel and it's like a sort of two long benches. So you're facing, you know, one long bench of five people. The other bench has five and you're facing each other. Mm-hmm. And myself and Rachel happen to be sitting next to each other and we're having a nice chat. Don't forget, I've been working with her for months. And so we've gotten to know each other and we're chatting away and I keep, and I'm looking up and I keep seeing this table that we're facing and I'm like, wow, they keep staring at me. How weird. Like, I don't know anybody here. That's so bizarre. And so I just keep thinking and I'm like, they're really like, after a while, I'm like, they're really aggressively staring at me. Like that is like, I'm just wondering like what's happening here. And I said to Rachel, I go, okay, just like kind of at casual. And she's like, oh, okay. What? Like right directly be like behind us kind of like, you know, that we're facing. And she's like, yeah, I go, I don't know, but they're really staring at me. Like they keep looking at me and kind of smiling if I look up and everything. I'm like, it's so weird. And someone at the table is like, you are kidding, right? And I go, no, I'm not. I'm serious. This table's seriously staring at me. Ever since we got here, they're totally staring at me. And they look at me and they go, dude, they're not staring at you. You're sitting next to Rachel McAdams. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It just dawned on me. That I'm out in Chicago having dinner with her. And that's right. They're like, who cares about me? They're staring at her. (laughs) And Rachel is her infinite beauty as a person because she's so beautiful inside and out. She just smiles and she knew the whole time, right? And she's just like, no. And then she says to me, she goes, I think they were probably staring at you, Leslie. And I was just like, shush. Oh my God. She let you have your moment. Yeah. Um, Ridiculous, right? And so knowing what you do now, because I know you, you didn't have necessarily like the traditional route of getting into this industry, but with what you're equipped with now, what would you guide someone or tell somebody who's wanting to get into costume design to do? So I do teach a lot of courses and I try to do a lot of mentorship to a lot of different uh, types of people, like whether it's youth or, you know, just college students, or I've done a lot of outreach for people at socioeconomic backgrounds. And so I think if you can find a mentor, I, I, I very strongly believe in mentorship. If there's somebody that you can find that would mentor you and help take you under their wing and sort of give you some guidance, I do believe strongly in that. I also think if it's something that you're really, truly, you know, passionate about or want to explore to find out if you are more passionate than you think, there's lots of little courses you can take that will give you a taste of it uh, to see and test the waters I also did a lot of volunteering when I was first getting into industry. I did a lot of student films. I did a lot of people that are in the film industry that are trying to make their own stories come to life. Mm -hmm. I volunteered my time. I've worked on lots of 
freebies or, you know, they'd be like, we can't pay you, but we'll give you lunch. You know what I mean? So things like that. And I had, and it was really great. It's very, very fun. I think that people have to understand that film and television, it's a tricky business. The hours can be unkind. It's forever changing. You don't go to work nine to five. That doesn't really exist in our world, sadly. And you have to be a little bit fluid with your thought process on how it's going to be and accept that. Because if you start, you know, having a positive attitude, I really believe for anything, anything you do in life, not just this, but will take you further. You have to really like what you're doing. You have to want to go to work every day. And I really do. I think that film and television is a beautiful that. What I do is the same in theory, but every project brings a different story and a different challenge and a different group of people. So while you have to sort of, uh, you know, approach it the same way, you have all these different uh, uh, like possibilities of what you can be doing. And, you know, there's the traditional, I went to theater school, you can go to film school, you can do theater school, but I just, you know, you don't, you don't have to necessarily go that route if you're willing to dive in and find out, you know, here in Toronto, there's the Canadian film board here that they do stuff and you can volunteer or get like, you can sometimes get paid, but like nominal, you know what I mean? It's not always going to be the most money you've ever made in your life, but it's like, if you want to get in there and try it out. Mm -hmm. And I think just being open, you know, learning to me, I, I really believe in learning. I think we're in an industry that you do learn as you go. It's a lot of on the job training. We do have this like really weird sort of set of skills that doesn't always translate into maybe say working at the mall or whatever, but there's parts of it that can like leadership and, you know, being in charge and being really good at paperwork and things like that can, you can learn a lot that way. But I think that like, I, that's why I teach a lot of caution courses is that I think trying to give back, I feel, you know, I really, feel I was given so much by people like even when they didn't even know they were giving how can I give that back and hopefully share some of my knowledge and funny stories and um, and things of that nature and and you know you do have to have a lot of perseverance to just keep hitting the pavement and going for it because for every door that opens probably 10 will have closed and yeah. so you have to keep on keeping on you know what I mean you got to not give up and believe in yourself and even when you have a bad day that a bad day is a bad day it doesn't mean it defines you forever it's just a bad day and you know within 24 hours there's a new day that dawns so it's really trying to stay that way you know you have a lovely perspective and outlook on things. Um, that's one of the nicest uh, answers that I've heard as far as the giving back that you do, the teaching you want to bestow upon others. Um, I just, I think that's incredible because not everybody's like that in the industry as far as wanting to share the tricks of the trade. Some keep that very close to them. So the fact that you're open and willing to, to give that information to those that are wanting to follow in your footsteps is absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people that do, you know, I, I thank you. I think those are very kind words from you. <laughs> I, you know, I think, how can we, ha how can we continue this? If, you know, what will happen to Netflix and Amazon prime if we don't, uh, if we don't keep training. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I didn't get to where I was by knowing it all and being able, there is, it's, there is no real school or book that teaches you what you learn in the mm -hmm. field, if you will. Oh. And so I, I do, I think it is really important to, to give back, 
But I have to say too, is I really get a lot out of that. I personally have joy from teaching. And when people take my courses and they, you know, write me messages and stuff and they're like, Oh my gosh, I did this because I took your course or that's that person that brings me personal joy, you know? So not like I, you know, um, everybody has to give back in the way that they give back. This is what brings me joy. And this is why I decide to give back this way. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I value education. Both my parents were educators. So that's amazing. Um, with that, we have one last question. We know that The Handmaid's Tale is out. Um, what is next for Leslie? Where can our followers follow you? Um, what do you have coming up that we can watch? So Handmaid's Tale is out of streaming. I have, uh, I've been, I'm working right now, like, on this little VFX shoot for a movie called True Haunting. I'm just helping them out a ghost element for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a feature film that won't be out till next year. And I, I am not sure. I mean, Handmaid's Tale season six is a go. Mm-hmm. And I have amazingly been asked to come back. So I'm excited about that for okay. sure. And otherwise, um, I'm currently available. What do you got? Uh, <laughs> no, I, um, I'm just sort of, now. <laughs> I've just been sort of, uh, got a couple of scripts, just looking at a few things, but nothing, nothing definitive just yet. But that's lovely. Like you've got, you've got a little pool to kind of dabble in and, and pick out your next project. Like that's really great that you have that and congrats. Um, and also, cause I didn't realize season six was a go. So as a viewer of the show, that's very exciting to hear. Yes. Uh, the show premiered here at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is really cool. And they made the announcement there. So uh, season six is a go. It'll be starting in the spring of 2023, which is crazy to say. Yeah. Um, so for all you fans, I'm sorry to break it to you. It will be the final season. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm just sort of, you know, it was a really great run. It was a long run. You know, we only finished, feel like I only finished a little while ago. And so having a little bit of a healthy break to regroup a little bit, get some rest and relaxation. And um, hopefully another fantastic project falls my way before The Handmaid starts up again. Oh, wonderful. Are you active on, on Twitter or Instagram or anything where people can follow? I am on Instagram. Um, I, that's my only, uh, what do you call that? Social media platform because yeah. I'm terrible at it. Uh, my thing is at LK costumes and I did try Twitter. I did a take my, I did a takeover of my sister's Twitter account when the show was premiering to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not good at Twitter. I will tell you that now. I do not have a tweet account or whatever you call it. I don't have a Twitter, Tweety, whatever. I don't have it. I'm not good at it, but um, I did try it. <laughs> terrible. Terrible at social media. It's a new way. Social media is where it's at now, but I'm terrible at it. I'm the worst at it too. You're so busy. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's tough in the moment to remember like, oh, to record this or take a picture. Like, when you're busy actively the way that you are, like, I, I mean, I totally get it, but we will make sure that we've got your, your handle and everything for the viewers. And again, just your time is so valuable. So I, I mean, I feel like I just went to like a really great lecture. So mm-hmm. thank you for all the information. You guys, oh my gosh, you're like good for the ego. Can you come around with me every day. Aww. It's been really fun. I have to say, I, 
I so just, um, it's exciting for me to do stuff like this. I love it. I think it's great when people want to hear anything about the industry or about um, behind the scenes and things like that. I find it really fun and interesting to share that because it's always about what the cast say and, and what they like. And that's totally fine. Like, I don't, I don't think otherwise, but sometimes it's really cool what we do to help give them that stuff. And it's fun to share it and talk about it. <laughs> and thank you again. The story about people staring at you is I'm going to remember that one. That I will remember that. So, forever. So funny. <laughs> it's a sadly a very true story. Oh, <laughs> you're so innocent though. Like it was so cute because you were very concerned. You're like, they really are staring. Well, you know what ends up happening, right, is you spend so much time with these actors that Mm -hmm. you forget that they're actors. And you've already been shooting all around the city. You've been other places. At least sort of like you just – and listen, some – not all. Like some cast are way more personable and you connect with them better than maybe some other ones. So you kind of – you know, you you, the wall of actor – technician gets broken down a lot sooner and that is really what happened with Channing and Rachel and it just it just always strikes me as funny you know you forget that she's extremely famous yeah and you're just like yeah like they're totally staring at me like have you checked (laughs) so weird and she's just like yeah I kind of was noticing like and she was totally I'm sure she totally knew it was for her because she's used to it right because she's like whatever and um I'm just like, I'm just like, I can't believe it. Like, how rude. I'm trying to have my dinner. You know what I mean? It's just like, and it was all like, obviously. Too funny. Well, I'm so excited to see. I didn't realize that you um, had even done The Vow, so because that's a favorite movie. And I I can't wait to watch it now that I've actually had a chance to be with you. I'm going to go back. There's many of your works that I've I've seen that you talked about today that, like, I'll be able to look at it through new eyes. And I think that's going to be fun to watch. I'll be paying attention a lot more to the, to the costume design. That's what we try to do with the podcast is I don't think people realize how much visually is relied upon with the wardrobe and so we want to give you know you guys due credit and the platform to talk about your your work and not just your work but like the amount that is given to to see this clothing that's on these people it doesn't just magically appear um there's lots of thought that goes behind it and so we're hoping that with our audience that we are shining some light on that of just, you know, the hard work that goes into that aspect of film and television. That's so great. I think it's really cool and exciting and I'm excited and I can't wait to hear it. And I just want to thank you both so much for even wanting to speak with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you you so much. Thank We're going to stay on and, and chat a little bit more, but thank you again for your time. And uh, listen, you guys, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Happy Friday. Happy weekend. And I look forward to the finished product. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of The DM with Audrey, Brianne, and Tyree, where we interviewed costume designer Leslie Cavanaugh. You can find Leslie's social media in the description box below. A special thank you to Nearby Sound for our theme song. If you enjoyed the show, please introduce your friends to our work, rate, review, and follow. Check us out on thedm.net or on Instagram at at AudreyBrienne and at TyreeStyle. The DM is produced by Joe Passarelli, Audrey Brienne, and Tyree.